Welcome to What's the Point Bible Podcast, a ministry of Life Point Church in Muncie, Indiana. I'm Pastor Joe Pruitt. And I'm Pastor Garrett Pruitt. And we invite you to join us weekly as we journey through the Bible, uncovering how God reveals Himself, reveals His purpose for humanity, and shows us the great redemption plan. We will discover themes and ideas that are contained within the Scriptures and dive deep to understand their original meaning and how they relate to us today. We will work through the Bible passage by passage and ask the questions, why did God include this in Scripture, and what's the point God is trying to make? Thanks for joining in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a passage we all know, but what lies under the surface of this creation account? What is God wanting us to know about His character and nature? What does this account reveal about God's purpose for humanity? We'll discuss these questions and much more as we dive into Genesis 1 and 2. Here we go. Hello, Pastor Joe. How you doing? Doing good. How are you doing today? Doing good. Ready to get into the book of Genesis. You know, we're going to be talking about what's the point on the book of Genesis and really with any kind of topic, kind of digging into what's the Bible mean, you know? Yeah. Looking forward to it. Just kind of peeling it off layer by layer yeah. and uh, going down as deep as we can, try to understand uh, what the Bible is saying to us. Why did God include it in the Bible? Why did he write what he wrote? What's it, the purpose? What's the meaning to us? Or what's the point in mm-hmm. the in the story? Yeah, you know, and we're going to start with the book of Genesis, but I, you know, I think it's a really good idea just as a broad topic of what we're trying to do because there's a lot of stories in the Bible that are unique, don't fit our cultural experience at all, and you can read it and be like, why is that even in there? Why is that important? You can get lost in the details. So that's kind of what we're trying to do is read it. What does it mean to the when it was written to the original people? And then what does that mean for us today? You know, why should we take it seriously? Exactly. And even though maybe some of the stories, the settings, the cultures, the customs are not relevant for today, the principles behind them are still relevant. What God was trying to teach them, we can take those principles and apply it to our life and, and where we're at in our world today. so Yeah, definitely. So we're going to start this journey on uh, what's the point of the Bible as a whole, but we're going to start in the book of Genesis. Um, we're going to start right at the beginning, Genesis chapter number one. No better place to start than the book of Genesis. Um, so we're going to start here, Genesis chapter number one. Um, and just a couple things right off the beginning that I think are important about Genesis one is, you know, it's so it's such a charged passage because with, you know, modern science and the theories of evolution and, you know, the church gets really defensive and, and, and rightfully so that we believe God's the creator. But Absolutely. I think, you know, that people are so sensitive to that issue that any other form of reading or any other points that come out besides God's the creator are kind of rejected out of defense, you know, out of a defense mechanism that they don't want evolution or some other kind of means to sneak in. Right. I mean, God's Word defends itself. It stands on its own. It uh, it doesn't need us right. to try to defend it. God's Word will stand. It will endure forever. And, uh, you know, when God uh, 
wrote or when God, you know, had uh, Moses write the, the book of Genesis, I mean, what was his purpose? Was he really trying to have Moses defend creation? Probably right. not. No, no, no scientists were around trying to, uh, you know, battle creation. Matter of fact, creation was the accepted um, idea. Well, there were no atheists around. <laughs> there were no atheists. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They weren't trying to promote evolution or anything like that. So God didn't have, uh, didn't write Genesis 1 to try to defend against that. And so we shouldn't be afraid of that. So this is not God saying, i got to prove to you that I created it. Uh, it, in other words, it's uh, God saying, I want to show you why I created. Yeah, yeah, purpose. Yeah, purpose. The Bible is going to reveal to us God. Mm-hmm. Anything we know about God is going to come from the Bible. And uh, But even all that the Bible reveals to us about God, he still doesn't reveal everything. Right. He's so much more. Yeah. And so when we talk about the first statement, in the beginning, God... It was just a, a an announcement, a, you know, a declaration. It wasn't an argument to try to convince folks. It was just a statement. God has always been. Yeah, exactly. There was no debate on did God exist. The real debate, and kind of what we'll get into here a little bit, is what type of God are we talking about, and why? Why did He create? The, what was you know what was the purpose of each individual part of creation? So that's kind of what we'll get into, you know, a little bit. That was the really the thing you know, that stood out from the creation story. Right, and not necessarily a verse-by-verse verse, uh, uh, study, but more of a story-by-story, story. themes, yeah, themes, ideas, mm-hmm. uh, kind of overview of the passages to get the, the understanding of what God is trying to say and what was happening. And so let's look at the creation. In yeah. the beginning, God created. So the Bible tells us everything we need to know about creation, that uh, it was his idea, it was his plan, and he certainly had a purpose for it. So what was that purpose? Yeah, that, that's the question. And so I think an important thing that we just need to understand when we're reading the Bible is that the creation account was written for that purpose, to display God's character and to display his, his reasoning for creation. It, w- it was not to tell us God created the world. It was to tell us who he is and why he created the world. Because, you know, throughout history, there are other creation stories that would be contemporary with Genesis. Like when Genesis was written, there were other creation accounts from pagan religions that would have been widely circulated. Like people would have known what they were, like from Babylon or from other kind of areas, um, Egypt, you know, the Hittite Empire, that they were popular creation accounts. And really the point of Genesis, of this creation story right here, is to not tell a completely different story but to tell, show of a completely different God. To reveal a different God, the nature yeah. of um, Yahweh, you know, the yeah. nature of our God, the creator God, that was different, and uh, and his purpose in creating was different than the way uh, the other creation stories reveal their God. Yeah, and, and the idea is the creation passage in Genesis 1 and 2 is similar to these other creation myths so that the differences can stand out. So the other myths, you know from Egypt or from Babylon, the gods create out of water, which is what we see in Genesis 1. The gods um, speak to create. They speak and creation comes in. So these are things that are similar, but they're similar so that the differences stand out. It's just like if you sing a similar, uh, very familiar song, but sing the wrong note or sing the wrong words, it stands out right away. 
if someone sings a song you don't know and they sing the wrong word, you're not going to know if there's any difference or not. But if someone sings a song that everyone knows and sings the wrong word, the difference stands out immediately. And that's kind of what this creation narrative does. The differences would stand out. Yeah. And, and uh, it's revealing uh, the greatness of God and that uh, He is far uh, better. He is uh, preeminent, far above all the other gods, all the other uh, stories and so forth. His character, His love is displayed. And we shouldn't be afraid and we shouldn't back down from the idea that this creation story is similar to other religious religions creation stories. Right. It's not a threat to God, it's not a threat to Christianity, it's not a threat to the Bible. Right. That's why we're trying to understand what's the point. The purpose is he's trying to show them that our God is so much greater. Yeah. And I know we're kind of taking a little bit before we dive in, but I think this is important, you know, the bal- I think you know, biblical interpretations like a balance beam. The goal is to stay in the middle, but you can fall off either side. Some people hold so literally that that even when the writer is using normal metaphor that we use every day, like if we're saying it's raining cats and dogs, if that was in the Bible, someone would say that cats and dogs fell from the sky rather than just a s- expression that we use, and that could err. Then there are other people that are so metaphorical, metaphorically minded that they don't take any literal thing like prophecy, that God didn't really prophesy, or predictive prophecy, or Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. It was expression, you know, and that's an error too. So the goal is in the middle. You can interpret something metaphorically without taking away its historical nature. Absolutely. Very real. God could have really done something in history, but could have also done it to show a metaphor for what will happen later. I mean, both things can be true. Yeah, if if the... If the plain sense makes sense, right? Is that how it goes? Seek What's no that? other sense, lest yeah. it be nonsense. There you go. <laughs> so we'll try to, we'll just take it for what it says, for what, is, uh, you know, the obvious meaning, the plain sense. And then if it appears that it's a metaphor, we'll take it as being a metaphor. Yeah. And so forth. And it very realistically could be both. It could have actually yeah. happened and be a metaphor too. So. Right. So when we talk about creation here and God creating all that is in the beginning, uh, Psalms 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So the creation is just for that, to declare God. Yeah, It declares to us who He is. Uh, Romans says, from since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. So creation is not just to let us know where we come from. Yeah. It is to display to us His invisible attributes, to let us see who he is, yeah. and to understand him, and, and so forth. I mean, it's the ultimate witness, because Paul even says, you know, in Romans, you know, how will all the world know? And Paul says, well, first they know from creation. creation. And then when the heart is ready, then the preacher will be sent, mm-hmm. you know? But it, we kind of get the idea that if no preacher's sent, nobody's ready, yeah. you know? Because the first missionary is creation. That's the first testifier of God. Absolutely. You know? The heavens have been declaring him. Since the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and kind of jumping back a little bit onto what Genesis is going to say, or about the creation narrative is going to say about God, you know, you have, what are the differences? We talked a little bit about the differences, the, com- the comparative, you know, stories in Babylon or whatever. So because they were written to show God's differences, what are those differences? Like what makes God different from these other pagan things? What What is creation showing? The heavens are declaring God, so what kind of God is it declaring, you know, and a couple things that stand out. One, God is separate from his creation. Yeah, absolutely. God is not a part. God is not a created being. He is 
outside of space and time. Yeah, before there was anything, yeah. there was God. There was God. There yep. was God. Everything that's created was created for our purpose, for our benefit, not for his. Right. He's self-sufficient, self-sustaining. Absolutely. He doesn't, he doesn't need anything. Number two, what God created is good. Okay. You might take that for granted if you've grown up a church, you know, God said it was good. But these other creation myths that would have been contemporary with Genesis show the gods creating things that are evil. Okay. Or, or dirty or chaotic, you know, they create chaos. But God, what he creates is good. And that, that's important. You know, what God does is good. Yeah, yeah. It's not random. It's not meaningless. Uh, it's purposeful. Right. What God creates has a purpose. There's a reason. There's an intelligence behind it. And that applies to humans, too. I mean, if you read these yeah. other things, humans were created to be like these, you know, lowly, ignorant servants of the other gods. They were kind of despicable characters in these other creation myths. However, we're going to see here in Genesis 1 and 2 that humans are the are the pinnacle of God's creation. They right. are good, you know, not inherently good to where we own our salvation. We're not talking about that, you understand, but right. more like they're they're good. They're not this evil entity. They're a being that are created to be the image of God. Yeah, created to walk in fellowship with God. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, the original creation, that God wanted to spend time with them, not that they were evil and the gods despised them or whatever. You right, know? or looked down at the gods. Yeah. Hate, you know, the gods hated the humans in the other stories, but here God loves humanity. God loves us. Yeah. yeah. And then one final one is, you know, the seventh day, God rested. He established an order for humanity, which included rest. And these other creation accounts, the humans were supposed to endlessly serve the gods. And when they didn't, the gods would strike them down. It was one of those things of, you serve me. But God established in creation where, listen, rest is a part of the human condition. You need to rest. It's kind of an order for right. life, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think we kind of covered some of the big broad strokes here. Let's uh, let's jump into the uh, into the text here and kind of just make our way through it on some of the particulars and kind of dig down into what Genesis 1 has to say. All right. Um, so we see first here at the beginning, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see the at the beginning state there is chaos, there is disorder, there is chaotic water. You know, God kind of creates from this darkness. And there's actually two different words that are used for water there. If you see at the beginning, when it says in verse two, it says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That word deep there is the Hebrew word to home. That signifies chaotic water. Like if you see a stormy ocean, it's right. just crazy. And then the next line says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's a different Hebrew word for water called mime which is the useful water. It's like a, a gentle stream or drinking water. It's water that is useful to you. So we see right off the bat where there's darkness, there's chaos, but where there's spirit, there's life. Right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, and that theme runs through the Bible. We know that darkness represents um, that chaotic type of thing. Yeah. But the Spirit of God always comes to bring uh, peace, calm, um, you know, order, yeah, definitely. Order is a Order, big one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and he orders not only creation, he orders our life. And uh, so right from the beginning, we see God at work. We see the Spirit of God at work uh, bringing order into creation. Yeah, and it just it's just kind of going to preface what God's going to do. He's going to order this chaotic mess. Um, 
just a couple of like textual things. If you look at creation, how it's broken down, you know, God creates through six days and then seventh day he rests. You know, the first three days, if you think about it, God's creating space. So he creates light and dark. He creates the waters above and the waters beneath. And then he creates the dry land. That's space. And then the next three days, days four through six, God fills that space. So in day one, it's light and dark. And day four, it's the sun that fills the light and the moon and stars that fill the dark. You know, it, right. it fills in. And then it's the day two was waters above and, and then the sky and waters beneath. And, you know, the day five is you got the fish and you have the birds that fill that area. And then dry lands day three and day six is humans and land animals fill that area. Right. There's real order. I mean, there, you know, there's real order construction uh, of, of Genesis. So you can see that God is doing things purposefully. Yes. And that he is uh, not just random. It's just not uh, willy-nilly. It's not just uh, without thought. It's not an accident. Yeah, yeah, it's not an accident. Nothing that is done is an accident. God is creating purposefully, creates the space, then fills the space. Yeah, exactly. And in that order, it, it kind of gives you a big hint on God's providence, God's plan, that what he's doing has a purpose. So he didn't create light and dark to sit empty because day four was going to come and he was going to fill it. So when we see God work in the rest of the Bible, he's not just going to do something to leave it empty. So it's going to happen for a reason. It kind of sets us up for that providence of God. It's going to happen. Absolutely. And even though, you know, on day one, creating light and dark, uh, it's not till day four that he fills it. Right. But he fills it. But he fills it. Yeah. You know, we become. Uh, restless, we become nervous with the the space in between, yeah. <laughs> the empty time, the where are you at. You know, if we kind of look at it in our lives, God's doing something, but it's a purpose. Mm-hmm. And and day f- uh, day four, the purpose, then we we find what He fills it with. Right, you know? exactly. It kind of sets us up for that kind of narrative. Um, you know, another thing is if you read through the Book of Genesis, we see God speaks. 10 times in the book of, in the, um, excuse me, in chapter one, right? God speaks 10 times in creating the world in chapter one. And that's kind of a big deal. Um, you know, there are numbers are important in the Bible. You got numbers like seven, 10, 40 tend to be really big numbers in the Bible, 70, things like that. God speaks 10 times. And we're going to see that that sets up a theme of creation slash decreation throughout the whole Bible, right? God is seeking to create and bring order. Sin is seeking to decreate and bring chaos. And the number 10 is important because, I mean, when you think about it, God speaks 10 times, creates the world. Then you have Pharaoh in Egypt after sin has taken over Israel and Pharaoh has now dominated Israel. What does God do to Egypt? He decreates Egypt. He lets sin have its ultimate effect with how many plagues? 10 plagues, right? It brings decreation. And then as Israel comes out of Egypt and God's wanting to recreate his people, what's the first thing he gives them? Ten commandments to recreate. Now, he'll give other laws, but there's a reason that God gives ten at the beginning. It's the pattern of God recreating his people. It's, so it's very significant and intentional when we see those things in the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so that kind of pattern of God seeks to create and bring life and sin seeks to destroy and decreate and, you know, 
and that's going to be the battle that goes on through and the Bible. And we see patterns, and that God does things uh, according to pattern throughout the Bible. And sometimes we might miss those type of things, but that's what we're wanting to try to uh, expose and, and talk about, you know? Yeah. These and, themes that, uh, that proceed throughout all of Scripture. Yeah, and think about it. These scrolls in the original time were written thousands of years ago. I mean, at the very... If you take the latest possible date for these things, we're still talking over 2,000 years ago, okay? They didn't have the internet or anything like that. So how would you let the reader know what you want them to think about? They don't have a hyperlink button on a web page for you to go to another article. They are going to write things that are similar so that way you can understand what they're wanting to talk about. They're going to hyperlink it that way. Yeah. So that's why when you see repeated words or repeated themes or repeated numbers, that's like God working through the author to let you know that, hey, you need to look back at where this is mentioned previously, because I'm trying to connect ideas here. Absolutely. You know, so. Repetition is a great uh, tool that Scripture uses to teach us. Yeah. And that's something that all of us should be mindful of when we're reading, as we see words repeated, ideas repeated, uh, take note. Yeah. They're not an accident. Right. Exactly. No, it's not... That if I've learned anything when reading the Bible is nothing is there on accident. There's some things that I read that I think are simply throwaway, you know, words, but they have meaning. It is truly a book with infinite depth. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, then we move on to, you know, the humans. God creates the humans. It's kind of like the climactic point of Genesis one is God's created all of these other things. But then he spends a, the last time here on humans. He creates the humans, um, and that's really kind of the the crown jewel on creation. Yeah. Can I go back for a second? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm just going back to verse number three, because we're talking about, you know, God speaks and his creation. And of course, we're not detailing every single thing. But, you know, the very first thing that God says is, let there be light. And so... Uh, you know, God uh, says, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness, called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning was the first day. The first words of God, let there be light, and which creates uh, the light and the darkness. These reveal the power of God's word. God's words that endure throughout all of Scripture. Matter of fact, we will see again this idea of repeating that God will come back to this very moment mm -hmm. uh, as He's talking uh, in later events when we go up to the flood. After the flood comes and He destroys the earth and Noah and his family are spared through the ark, and then God tells him that day and night shall not cease. Right. Though, though there's been this great cataclysmic event... Um, what I have established is going to continue. Right. You go on further into the prophet Jeremiah, and uh, when Israel is facing a very difficult time of Babylonian captivity, uh, he says in Jeremiah 31 that uh, the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and a fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, uh, is if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me. So what he's trying to say is, is just as I have said, let there be light, and that's never going to change. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be day and night that uh, he is establishing other covenants based on that same precedent. Right. That if I promised you 
and, and he will talk about David. If I promise David that his seed will sit on the throne, which is a promise of the Messiah, then if you can break my covenant with the day and night, right. you can break the promise that a Messiah is coming. Yeah. And just like I said, Israel's going to be my people. If you can break the covenant of day and night, right. then you can break my covenant with Israel. And the whole thing is letting us know is we can't break the covenant right. of day and night. Right, right. That when God said it, when God created and established it, it's established. Yeah. What he establishes will happen. And is based upon his word. Right. Because the light was not a result of the sun. Right. It was a result of his word. Because the sun wasn't even created yet. Right. Right. So that's the power of his word. Mm-hmm. That's the power of his word. It's not just the laws of nature. It's the laws of God. Right. You know, and you so, know, and, and that's a, gr- that's a great point. And what you're going to hear us talk about, we've mentioned a little bit is we're going to take what's in Genesis and it's going to be touched on throughout the Bible and the theme because Genesis is the foundation. Yeah. I mean, it is the foundation of what's going to become through the Bible. And I mean, when you think about the word, I mean, you can't help but think about how John was reflecting on Genesis one when he said, "In the beginning was the word." The word, yeah. And what does he say later? It, it shined into the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend exactly. it. You know, so it it really does the pa- why you go back here and understand Genesis is because when people are writing the New Testament and even writing later books, they're virtually writing an inspired commentary on the Old Testament in some instances. Okay, and they reflect from these ideas that are established here, like God's establishing his word and his word will not return void as Isaiah said. Absolutely. And so I just kind of wanted to make that little comment there. And uh, so we could jump back into, to uh, the creations of or the creating of uh, humanity created in his image. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, that's the age old question. So do you look like God? I, I don't know. You know, <laughs> some people have said possibly, well, <laughs> just joking. You may resemble your father. That's right. That's true. Yeah. We are created to reveal and display uh, the image of God to creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we talk about him creating earth. The heavens declare his glory. Mm-hmm. Creation declares mm-hmm. his glory. Now we, as people, humanity, we join in on this great purpose this great uh, plan of God that we are to reveal and declare uh, the glory of God. Yeah. You know, and part of that is we, so we kind of express, you know, what is the image? You know, the image is more of a nature idea. You know, of course, you know, do we look like God? Well, John chapter four, Jesus said, God is a spirit. So, you know, do we, if you were going to hold up a mirror, do we look like God? No, probably not. But it's the image. It's the imprint on our heart. You know, it's, it's our nature. What are, what are we supposed to do? And part of the image of God is we're supposed to be who God was to us to the rest of the world. God produced life. We're to produce life. You know, God loves, we're to love. You know, God controlled and dominated the chaos, right? The waters, God controlled them and ordered them, you know? And that leads right into the command that God gives the humans in Genesis 1. They're to subdue the earth, you know? Absolutely. They're to subdue the earth. You know, and part of the question that comes to my mind is, you know, why are they given the command to subdue something if there was nothing that needed to be subdued? Good question. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> you know, if they're, you know, what are they to subdue? You know, I mean, these are questions that can be challenging to sometimes. Right. But, you know, 
but I, the command is there for a reason, you know, why, why are they to subdue something, you know? And I think part of the reason why is a metaphorical reason that God is giving them dominion and the power to subdue, which is exactly what he's going to give the Kings of Israel. You know, it's setting up the humans in this kind of kingly role yeah, to where they have authority over the earth as long as they're, you know, committed to God and being his image. But we see from the book of Kings that when the Kings are not committed to that, God will quickly take care of them, you know? Right. But that authority exists as long as you are the image of God. So it's kind of putting people in this kind of kingly role, you know, to kind of dominate, create, or have dominion over creation. Well, leading well, godly leadership, rulership, whether it's Kings or any other kind of leading uh, displays the character of God. And that goes back to bearing the image of God to subdue, to have dominion, to have authority, to care for. I think all these things go together to keep the garden, to tend to it, uh, and, and to deal properly with it all is a reflection of God because that's who God is. He does yeah. right by us. He, he deals with us righteously. Exactly. And dominion is not domination. And we're going to see when we get to talking about chapter three and then the fall, but Dominion is different than domination. The kings were, had dominion over Israel. They had authority over Israel, but never once did God tell them to dominate Israel. Actually, the prophets rebuke Samaria and Jerusalem for their oppression of the people. Right. You know, so it was. This is not a charge to dominate the earth. It's to righteously rule the earth. You know, absolutely. So when we're created in His image, we're the image bearers. Our life, our actions, should reflect God. That's His. Original purpose, yeah. whether kings or anybody. Yeah. That's what we're created for. And then he, even when he tells us to be fruitful and multiply, yeah, it's not just about having children, though that is certainly part of it, but we're to reproduce the image of God. Yeah. That we are to be image bearers, and we are to reproduce image bearers. He wanted the earth to be filled with people who reflect who he is. Yeah, exactly. God's yeah. trying to... Teach us who he is. Yeah, exactly. And just like, you know, me and and many others and children and whatever, uh, we learn by those examples what we see. Yeah, exactly. And and what what better way to reveal the goodness of God than to let people see him in you. Right. And And that's kind of been a standard throughout, you know, even with Israel, that God wanted Israel to display uh, his goodness to other nations so that they then would in turn turn to the God of Israel. They were to be an example. Right. The image bearers. Today in the New Testament, we are to be the light of the world. Yeah. So that people could see our good works and glorify our Father. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that we are created in His image. Sin distorts that, but uh, originally we were created right. to bear His image. Right. And so... Here's the thing that I kind of really had to think about. And when I, the question was proposed to me, it kind of took me off guard. But now that I kind of thought about it, it kind of brings a whole nother level of depth to the understanding of the Bible. And I mean, why would God create people in his image and then give them commandments to do things, you know, have dominion over the earth and subdue it, be fruitful and multiply when God could do any of those things himself? Yeah. You know, why? Yeah. When if God's all powerful, why does he tell humans to do these things? 
I mean, and what we're going to see in Genesis is going to be a resounding answer to this question is that God has established his preference to use humans to accomplish his will rather than through divine intervention. God has made a partnership, you know, for good or for bad, to use humans to accomplish his will. No greater point than the word becoming flesh. God could have spoken a decree from the tops of heaven, people are forgiven. But he was committed to using humans, so therefore he became one, right? So we're going to see it throughout the book of Genesis, you know, and eventually we'll pour it all the way to Jesus, that God is committing to using people. And we're going to realize that people make mistakes. After the fall, people mess up. Right. But the providence of God is not destroyed by our mistakes. God, unfortunately, has to work through them sometimes. Yeah. But it establishes this principle of God will use people. Yeah. And so, therefore, we're created for a purpose, with a purpose. Mm-hmm. That brings meaning to our life then. Yeah. You know? And and we probably all have thought that and have felt that, you know, well, if God wanted done, he could just do it. Or I'm going to sit back and watch God. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to sit back. God, you go ahead and do this. Well, God says, well, I actually created you to do that. Yeah, I'm working through <laughs> you. Now, there are times when God steps in and just makes it happen. Sure. But those instances are so few and far between. And we're, yeah. you know, it's God uses us, right? He does. He uses people. And that should... Uh, that should really give us some a, a sense of worth, yeah. value, that God wants to use me, mm-hmm. that I have been created for a purpose. I've been created to carry his image. And uh, yes, he could do things a uh, hundred different ways, but uh, he put me here mm-hmm. to use me. Yeah, and he's committed to it. Yeah. And it's part of who he is. It's part of his plan. And he's not going to deviate from that. He's committed to that. And then as we go on, when humans fail, God doesn't scrap the playbook and start over. He is committed to the human project. That is, I mean, I'm glad you said that because exactly, there, you know, there's no plan B. We've heard that saying, yeah. there's no plan B. He doesn't scrap the playbook, as you said. And uh, we look at things that are out of control, but God has never lost control. Right, right. You know, in essence, the Spirit is still hovering yeah, exactly. Over the chaos. Mm-hmm. And God's going to bring about his plan, yeah. his order, uh, in it all. Yeah, through us. You know, what, which, honor, which vessel is more honorable, the one that's used or the one that's not? You know, we have a chance to be a vessel of honor because God will use us, you know, to do his work. Man, if God puts his hand on you to use you, that is an honorable thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because we pray things all the time, bring revival to my city or, you know, do this, do that. There are certain things that only God can do, but there are 99% of the time for God to move is for you to move and yeah. God can use you. You know, it's not that you do it. It's God working through you. Well, I think that needs to be said again. <laughs> for God to move <laughs> is for you to move. For God to move <laughs> is for you to move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we are good at... Uh, saying, I'm going to sit here and wait for God to move. Yeah, exactly. You know, and us uh, moving and doing something for God. Sometimes, I know we're getting a little bit out there, uh, but sometimes people are like, well, I just want to find God's purpose, and I I don't want to do anything that's out of His will. Doing something for God is not out of His will. Yeah. We have become so paralyzed by this idea that I can only do what God's perfect will for my life is. 
do anything for God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's His will. His will is for you to be the image bearer, for you to uh, to you know do the work of God in this world, and you serving the Lord, you subduing, you fulfilling, you uh, you know living life to glorify God does not prevent him from doing something else in your life. Yeah, no, exactly. It doesn't stop what God wants to do. Exactly. Disobedience stops God, yeah. but uh, being obedient to God and, uh, and, and doing something for him does not prevent him from doing something else. Yeah, exactly. And the whole, the key operative word in all those phrases is do. Do. You know, yeah. if I could quote James, be doers, not just hearers, deceiving yourselves, right? Yeah. Just being a hearer will deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing something, but, you know, we're supposed to do. So, you know, he, he put God, uh, God put man, created him in his own image, put him in that garden, told him to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And, and of course, it'll go further on into chapter two, but this whole idea that when man was created... He was created to work. He was created to work. Work is not a result of the sin. Work is not a result of the fall. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. We do not work because Adam sinned. Right. We sweat mm-hmm. because Adam sinned. Yeah. yeah. We have pain and struggle with the work because Adam sinned, but we were created to work. You know why? Because that's the image of God. Yeah. What is Jesus doing right now? He sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Absolutely. He's not on vacation. He's working for you and I. We are made to work. Yeah. And then, of course, Genesis chapter 2, it runs in a little bit. God creates rest, right? It, yeah. It's a pattern. God, we, God knows we're not all sustaining, all sufficient like He is. So God didn't need to rest. He established a pattern because He knew that we needed to rest. Yeah. You know? Isn't it somehow this seven-day process that we see here, creation, Mm -hmm. six days, rest on the seventh day. It's as though it is built within us. Yeah. It is inherent in us. And here we are thousands of years later, Mm -hmm. and we still operate by a seven-day week. Yeah. There have been other cultures who have tried different, and it doesn't work. There have been folks that have tried to change it to 10-day weeks or whatever else it is, but it's interesting how that it is just within us. Yeah. That it's a seven day week and that, you know, six days for work, but there is a time of rest that he created for us. Yeah. For us. And, uh, you don't have to feel guilty about having rest. No, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> actually the highest command, honestly, in one of the, in the, in the law is keep the Sabbath. Yeah. Keep it holy for me. I mean, that's right in the middle of the 10 commandments. I mean, it's one of the highest commands that you can give is keep the Sabbath, you know? By you resting, you honor God's order of creation, when you think about it that way. Right. Taking God's allotted rest for your life is you honoring God's order of creation. Absolutely. You know, so it's, um, you know, that's an important theme in Genesis in the first creation narrative. Um, but we're going to take both creation narratives here together, and we're going to jump into um, uh, Genesis chapter number two to try and get a totality of kind of what this creation section is all about. So when we jump to Genesis 2, we get more of a focused view on the earth. You know, Genesis 1 is, you know, from a thousand feet view, if you would say. And, you know, Genesis 2 is going to zoom right in. We're going to zoom right into the creation of humanity, the role of humanity again. And it really just kind of, you know, zooms right in there again. Right. It's it's kind of going back and covering some of the same ground with a little bit greater detail. 
Yeah, and it provides different details that gives us a slightly different picture when sat next to chapter one will give us the whole picture. You know, it, it kind of is working together to give us the whole picture. And, you know, some of the things that Genesis 2 kind of brings about is one, intimate creation, that God intimately created humanity. This was not just a, a, you know, a second thought or something that was trivial to God. This was his hands in the dirt creating humanity type of a thing. Right, as opposed to speaking it into existence for a lot of other things. Right, exactly. And, you know, it just shows that God's intention behind yeah. humanity. We have the, a prohibition given to the humans that establishes our free will. And, you know, there are some that disagree with that, and that's okay. But, you know, free will is an important part of the human life. I mean, it's the whole reason God gave a prohibition. I mean, think about that. God created all of this, and everything's good, and then he sticks that tree in the garden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and says, don't touch it. Yeah. Just, you know, in our mind, we think, wouldn't it have been so much better if he just hadn't have put that in there? Mm-hmm. Then we wouldn't have had to worry about sinning. Adam and Eve wouldn't have been tempted and all of these things. But that's not why he created us. Right. That's not what he wants from us. Right. Because the only way that we can really love him mm-hmm. is if we have a choice to not love him. Yeah. Forced compulsion is not love. Robotic yeah. robotic motions is not love. Right. We need to give ourselves to him just as God freely gave his son. You know, it's a choice. It's a choice. Absolutely. Um, and then another major theme is that he establishes the first home. The home gets established in Genesis chapter number two. Note when things before the sin, you know, before sin, before the fall, the home is established. So the home, contrary to some popular opinion, the home is not a bad thing. You know, the home is not an evil thing. The home is not a suppressive thing. The home was created before the fall. It was part of God's original design. Absolutely. And the the collapse of the home <laughs> is the collapse of society. Yeah, well, we're just going to see it right away. The yeah. collapse of the home as a result of the fall is the first thing. Absolutely. We're going to see it right away. And then the home continues to be attacked Yeah, today. Exactly. So let's jump in here to the text here of Genesis chapter number two. You know, the first thing that stands out to me is, this is going to be a very, impop- or a very important theme throughout the rest of the Bible, is that in Genesis two, we see God creating sacred space. So think about this. God creates the world, which is the big circle. Then we see a place within the world called Eden, right? That's a smaller circle. Right. And then God creates a garden in Eden, which is an even smaller circle. So we see this three-tiered creation. It kind of reminds you of the common place, the holy place, or the holy place, the holier place, and the holiest place, right? Right. That The temple, tabernacle is framed after. And where are humans put? They're not put outside. They're put in the holy place, the holiest of holies. It's where God wants people to be. Yeah, exactly. And what will that be in the tabernacle? What will that be in the temple? Well, that's where God's presence is at. It's in the holy place. The holiest of all. And that's where humans were put, was in God's presence. Because that's what we were, that's what God wanted. God wanted us to walk with him in that intimate relationship. Yeah. The veil was not in God's original plan. The, you know, the putting people on the outside was not in God's original plan. The original plan was humans were supposed to have access to the holy place. You know, and I love what you just said about the veil was not part of that original plan. And sin uh, brought about the the, res, uh, the reason for the veil. 
But as soon as Christ died on the cross, the first thing God did, tore up the veil. Tore up the veil. Because <laughs> everybody can walk back into yeah. the holy place. Yeah, he wants, because it's always been about God wanting to be with his people. Or better yeah. yet, that made a way for humans to become the holy place. Yeah. I mean, we talk about Acts, we can talk about that later, but yeah. what, what, made the, what made the holy of holies great or, or holy was the Spirit of God was there. Yeah. So where is the Spirit now? He's in us. Yeah, and we can even look at us as, a, as that three-tiered uh, creation, body, soul, spirit. Yep. We're not to walk in the flesh. Right. We're to walk in the spirit. Yeah, exactly. And so that's going to be important for other reasons coming up here in the text, but I just think that's a good picture to frame. The garden was not Eden. The garden was in Eden. That's what it you says. Know, that's what the Bible says, the garden in Eden. Another interesting thing is this is the first use of the divine name, Yahweh. If you read... Um, in verse number five, it says, for the Lord God. That word Lord typically is written in all capitals in your Bible. Um, that's the word Yahweh. That's the first, that's the divine name. It's the first usage of the divine name, which is um, which is interesting, you know? I mean, it's interesting to me on a nerdy level because God won't give the divine name until Exodus. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's here in Genesis, which would give us an indication that it was written after Exodus events. So Moses recorded it. He didn't know the divine name until God told him. Yeah, because Abraham, God even tells Moses, to Abraham, I was known as El Shaddai, but to you, I'm known as I am, which is Yahweh. Yahweh, yep. Yeah. So it's just an interesting kind of a nerdy textual thing that, you know. So that when he goes back and writes this account, he plugs that name in there. Yeah, he plugs that name in there on purpose, you know. Yeah. Um, we see the river. A couple of other things in the text. We see that there's a river that runs through Eden, and it breaks into four. And the four rivers that are named were rivers that ran through ancient Jerusalem. You know, I actually went to the Gihon River, the Gihon Spring, when I was in Jerusalem, and it's underground now. A couple of them are underground because of how time happens and the earth builds up. But the question is, why? Why? You know, why is it written like that? You know, some people say that Jerusalem is Eden. Um, whether it was historically Eden, that like that was the actual, if you dig up the dirt, that's where Eden was at. It mm-hmm. could be. Um, I'm not saying it's not, so I'm not trying to fight about that, but I really think the metaphorical idea of, you know, Jerusalem as Eden is very strong, that this is the place where God resides. Because in the Old Testament, God even says, Jerusalem's my city, Jerusalem's my home. This is where I rest. Yeah. And when we'll talk about it later, but when Israel sins, where do they get expelled from? Jerusalem. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the city of God, God's place. So Jerusalem is like a type of the holy place. It's the place where if you do right, that's where you stay. If you do wrong, that's where you get kicked out of. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to bring you into this place. This is my promise to bring you here. Yeah. But when you sin, I remove you from here. Just like what happened with Adam and Eve. You're here when you obey, but yeah. when you disobey, and you're gonna see, and we're going to see that repeated you know, yeah. throughout the Bible. And of course, it's where God's going to set up his eternal throne. Right, and that's where he comes back and where he will reside once again. So yeah. whether if you dug down deep enough, you'd find Eden below Jerusalem, it could be. I'm not saying it's not, you know, whatever. But I really think the message is that, the picture. you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, is that that's what Jerusalem is. It's the presence of God. You know, and then if you see, look, in verse 215, after God forms man, he breathes the breath into him, the spirit goes into him, and he comes to life. God gives the man the 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 order to work and to keep the garden. Yeah. You know, this is the, we talked about verbal hyperlinks before. This is the exact same words that are used of the priest in the tabernacle. They yeah. are to work and to keep the tabernacle. So in chapter one, we saw 
that humans were kings. They were supposed to have dominion like kings. And then in chapter number two, we see that they are supposed to serve like priests. Right. So it's just the humans are these king priests. That's what they're supposed to be. So we have this this imagery, this king and priest imagery started already. Already in, listen, Genesis 1 it and will 2. repeat in the Bible. It will repeat. And uh, eventually the Messiah will come and he will be. Yeah, it, it's kind of like setting up this image of the perfect human will be the king and priest. The king and he the priest. He will rule and he will serve. Yeah. You know, that is that is what it'll be. He will one that will have authority, but he will be also the one that will spread the blood over the altar. You know, it's kind of like those two things. And then what this sets you up for is now that you know what a perfect human will be, and after the fall happens in Genesis 3, now you are on the hunt for the Genesis 1-2 human. Who will be, and we'll get to it later, but in Genesis 3 when God pronounces the Messiah, okay, who will this king priest be? Mm-hmm. And you read... And as soon as you think it's someone, they fail. Yeah. And as soon as you think it's someone, it's fail. And the whole Torah and the whole Old Testament leaves you on a ledge of we're looking for the king priest and we haven't found them yet. Yeah. You know, that's the whole point of it. And that's yeah. pretty exciting when you think about it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we're getting kind of out ahead of ourselves, but even later on in the book of Hebrews, when it talks about Christ, yeah, that he's not after the order of Aaron. No. He's after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. Because he is the king and the priest. And Melchizedek appears in Genesis chapter yeah. 14. It's a direct yeah. correlation, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of that depiction of humanity, you know? And then one thing I added here is we get the idea of blessing and curse. Blessing and curse, the imagery is started. And if you look in verses 15 through 17, God tells them to work and to keep the garden. Then he tells them they can eat of any tree, okay? You can eat of any tree except the one of tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat it, that day you will surely die. So what God's saying is if you obey, you stay. If you disobey, then the curse comes. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings curse. Yeah. And especially in the Torah, but all the way through 2 Kings, if you go all the way through 2 Kings, that theme is on repeat, maybe more than any other theme. When you obey, you're blessed. When you disobey, the curse of sin comes upon you. Not God's curse, the curse from sin. Yeah. Sin has its way with you when you disobey. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's still true today. Disobedience allows sin, the curse of sin, mm-hmm. to run rampant in your life. You want to be blessed? Obey God. Obey. <laughs> and so many people say, I don't know why God did this to me. You know, there are times when God puts you to the test, but I would say a vast majority of the time, obedience brings God's blessing. Disobedience allows sin to have its way. It's not God imposing something on us all the time. Disobedience allows sin to bring the curse. Right. So, you know, that's going to be repeated throughout the Bible, you know, blessing and curse. Um, you know, then a couple other things. We have the idea of name theology. In the Bible times, to name something was you exercising authority or control over it. If you gave something a name, that was a signal that you had authority over that entity. Right. So what does God tell God? Well, God told the humans in chapter one to have dominion over creation. And then what does God have Adam do in chapter two, starting in verse 18? He has him name the Starts animals. Starts naming all the animals. And the Bible is very specific when it says this. And it says in, in verse number 19 toward the end, it says, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 
That was. The man gave names to all livestock. It's very it's very clear when it uses the word name that Adam is naming something, right. showing its authority over it. Right. Absolutely. And the important thing to see is that Adam named the animals because he has dominion over creation. But when Eve is created, we see that Adam calls Eve woman, but the word for name is absent. It never says he names the woman. He just gives her a category. She's woman because she's similar to me. Because the Hebrew words for man and woman are very similar. He's like, she's woman because she's similar to me. So what does that say? I mean, to me, now there's a lot of people that this is a hot debate, but to me, that shows God's intention to have unity and an equal nature between man and woman. I think so. You know, Adam did name the animals, but he didn't name Eve because he was not supposed to exercise authority over her. They were supposed to work together in a venture to accomplish God's will. Yeah, and we're talking about before the fall, right? Before Be- sin before distorts sin. everything. Before sin, yeah. God's original plan. It wasn't good for man to be alone, so He created uh, a woman. Yeah, and they two together, together, the first home side by side, were to uh, rule over the garden and so forth. Uh, it's sin that has brought dis- yes distortion to everything. Sin has brought. Evil in every area, but God, you know, God created them equal, and I think this is a specification of the image of God. Mm-hmm. You know, even in chapter one, what does it say about the image of God in the little poem in verse twenty-seven in chapter one? It says, "So God created man in His own image; in the image of God, He created him, male and female. He created him. So God's image was not in Adam. Actually, the wording of the text makes it seem that God's image was incomplete in Adam." that the image was fulfilled through the other half of the woman because Adam could not fulfill his duties alone. He needed the woman to be the image of God. So together, they are the complete image of God, together in unity, not dominating each other, but in unity. Absolutely. You know what? And again, that's probably a reason why the home is under such attack. Because when man and woman, husband and wife are together together, in unity, in the bond of marriage, holy matrimony, it gives a wonderful picture of God. Yeah, and marriage is even addressed after the image of God is addressed in chapter 1. Right. In, two, in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, we get what's read in weddings around the world. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Right. right? And so, they too shall become one flesh. One flesh. So what does that mean? What is the image of God? It is a man and woman committed to each other that love each other, don't dominate each other, but are actively seeking to rule and serve in the image of God. That's the image of God. Yep. The sacrificial relationship, giving themselves completely to each other. Yeah. This all helps to reveal to us who God is. It's exactly right. Yeah. When the two pieces can go coexist as one, you know the spirit is there. Because mm-hmm. what is happening now? It's one wants to fight the other and the other wants to fight the one. But when the two come together in unity... Yep. That shows the image of God. The Spirit is at work over the chaotic, chaotic waters, you know? Right. So, and I think that's, you know, important. And then, of course, it ends in verse 25, and they were naked, and they were unashamed. There was nothing to hide, you know? When God created humanity, there was no... And that's going to become important when we get to chapter 3, but... Right. There was no reason to hide yourself. There was no... Because man was not even really aware of themselves. So before sin comes in... Uh, all that man's, all of man's awareness is of God. Exactly. All they know is the glory of God. Their eyes are fixed upon God. 
Uh, it's not about me. You know, life is lived uh, for each other, and it is lived for God. Yeah. You know, uh, but sin distorts all that. Ex- and, yeah, and exactly. And that's what we'll see when we get to, to chapter 3, is the first thing that happens when man sins is they become self-aware. Yeah. It's <laughs> when You know, think about Adam. When he was focused on God and focused on doing God's work, he didn't have time to worry about himself. Yeah. And that's not a neglect yourself type thing. We understand that. But when we're focused on doing God's work and on God's character, we kind of allow ourselves to not focus on our selfish desires. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. You know, they say what the idle hands or idle feet are quick to run to sin or whatever, or sin's present. You know, when we're at work for God, yeah. that helps keep our selfish desires suppressed. When we sit around and do nothing, that opens the door, right? Yeah. <laughs> and even like you said, that, you know, what God was going to require man to do, be fruitful, multiply, couldn't be done alone. No. So he had to find a helpmate for him. Uh, the animal kingdom was not suitable. You know, they yeah. named them all, but there was nobody to be the helper. So a woman was created, yep. and the two together, together fulfill the purpose of God. Yep. The two together fulfill the purpose the of God. The two together bring the blessing. Yeah. Be fruitful and multiply is a massive blessing motif. And the two together bring the blessing. Yeah. And you know what? It uh, And even the, the destruction of the home is... Uh, not just uh, trying to bring about divorce and all these things, but to trying to distort what God designed, man and woman. Yeah. Man and woman. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, they were meant to be together, and they were meant to be the image of God together. As we look at Genesis 1 and 2, I mean, what's the point of Genesis 1? Genesis 2. So what do we what do we learn about God just from the beginning creations here? He's a God of order, right? He's a God of order out of chaos. That everything has a purpose. Yeah. And, uh, and a plan. Mm-hmm. And his plan will happen. Just like the light will be filled on day four, you know, don't get tired and wait in day two and three. Yeah. So his plan will have a purpose. Yeah. And just like the light will continue. Right. Uh, it means his word will endure. He watches over his word. He watches over his word. I mean, when he says something, he means it. Yeah. He watches over his word to fulfill it. And so uh, he creates us in pur- with purpose. He, everything is created with purpose. We are created to be in his image. Yeah. That that we are to be a representation of God. Yeah. He could use other things, but he chooses to use us, right? Yeah. He is commit. That's a massive takeaway. He is committed to using humans. Yeah. His will will be accomplished through humans. Yeah. Look no further than Jesus. Absolutely. You know, his, his will will be commit will be accomplished through humans. And you know, the idea of a human that is supposed to be a king and a priest is is just you can't get over it. It's just a massive idea in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That one, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to rule. You know, we have authority. Paul even talks about spiritual authority as believers. But we're supposed to serve, right? Paul, we talk about these things in the New Testament. We have authority right. and we serve. But in its more original context, you know, people reading this, you know, in the BC times before Christ, people reading this would be saying, you know, God send the king priests, you know. And it's, I don't know what the word is. Exciting is not the right word, but I just think it's so amazing. That's probably a better word. Yeah. That 
this was established in Genesis 1, written so many thousands of years ago, and the king priest, you know, as we go through Genesis and through the Old Testament, we're going to be on the hunt for the king priest. Yeah. And we'll find people that are great, but we're not going to find the king priest, you know, in the Old Testament. Yeah. We were created to be in the inner circle. Yes, in the presence. We were in not put outside. In the presence of God. Yeah, we were created in the presence of the tree of life. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the difference between the God of the Bible, Yahweh, and some of the, the God of some of these other creation accounts we talked about. You yeah. Know, that God wants to be in close relationship with us, proximity. He walked in the garden with Adam. He placed them in the garden in Eden. Yeah. It's that picture of um, the holy of holies. Yeah, God know? placed when he could pick where to put us, he placed us in the holy place. He put us in his presence. He put us where he likes to walk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, yeah. Where God walks, right? Because he came down and walked in that garden. Exactly. You know, and then I just think the idea of, you know, being the image and obedience brings blessing and cur- and disobedience brings the curse. So God establishes that in Genesis 2. If you obey, you stay. If you disobey, you leave. Absolutely. You know, and... That's a practical thing for us, too. And then God establishes the home. And he establishes the home. God established the home. What a great thing. The first institution, right? Man and woman uh, together in the bond of unity and together they make up the image of God. Yeah, exactly. And it's perfectly together. And I think the sad part, but the interesting part is the things that God establishes in Genesis 1 and 2 are the things that on repeat get threatened throughout the rest of the Bible. Man's ability to rule righteously gets taken over by their selfish desire to oppress. Their ability to serve gets taken over by their pride and desire to dominate. And the unity in the home, we'll see very quickly, gets taken over by a desire for each other, to dominate each other. Yeah. And so we'll see very quickly that what God establishes will be threatened by the curse of sin. As we move forward. Absolutely. It's the only two, uh, well, it's the perfect world in the first two chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't last long. No. It sets us up of what the world should be, and then when we read throughout the book of Genesis and through the Old Testament, we'll realize what sin has done to it, and we're going to look for a resolution. We We need somebody to bring a resolution, and that's. I think that's kind of what these chapters set us up for. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the What's the Point Bible Podcast. What's the Point Bible Podcast is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Muncie, Indiana. Please leave a rating and a comment on this podcast. This helps us grow our audience to reach more people with this message. For information about this podcast, LifePoint Church, or for ways to support this podcast, you can visit lpc.tv or download the LifePoint Church Muncie app. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.